More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to Survivor Sanctuary. I am Kelly and I love this time. Every single week when I get to sit down and record the podcast and kind of just have a great chat with you, I want to thank you for tuning in, or I should say downloading the podcast. I can't stop with the radio speak. I can't do it. I've been in radio too long. So to me, it will always be tuning in regardless of how you're listening to the podcast. But I do want to thank you. And um, it's just uh, something I love. I love to be able to interact with listeners and interact with other survivors of sexual abuse and advocates. And it just feels like we've got a really great community when we have each other to talk to and to lean on. So I've got my coffee in hand. It is decaf because I'm actually recording this podcast at night and I don't want to be awake until tomorrow morning. So drinking some decaf, but I still uh, have to have a giant Yeti filled with coffee uh, at all times. It just makes me, I don't know, it makes me feel like I can talk a little bit better. Probably just a mind game that I'm playing. But anyway, I've got my caffeine and I'm ready to dive right in to episode seven of the podcast. Well, I want to start with some really great news. And that is that we have the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group up and running. I've had some people ask about the Facebook group. It is officially live and it is a private group. So nobody can see what you've posted or that you're part of the group, but you can find the group by searching on Facebook. So all you need to do is search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook and you'll find the group and you can request to join. And I am excited to have you there interacting. I would love to hear from the Survivor Sanctuary listeners who are downloading the podcast each week. See, there I did it, downloading the podcast or listening to the podcast every week. I would love to hear your stories and hear more about you and interact with you there. So I'm going to be spending quite a bit of time in the group. Right now, I'm the only member as of this recording because I literally just hit click to go live. And if you are a listener and I know where you are in social media, I will send you an invite to the group. Otherwise, just search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook and you'll find the group and you can be a part of it. And I just want to have a safe place where we can talk. And sometimes it's tough to share really personal things like out on Facebook for the whole world to see. But when we have a group that's just for survivors and those who kind of get it, um, it's going to be a safer place and a great community. And I hope that you'll join me there because I would absolutely love to interact with you. Another thing I'm really excited about is today I booked my hotel for the Courage Conference. So I don't know how I missed it, 
but I bought tickets to the Courage Conference a couple of months back. It's been a while, and I was very excited to go. For those of you who don't know, the Courage Conference is for survivors of sexual abuse and for advocates, and it's just a really awesome conference that is going to be taking place in Orlando this year. So it's the fourth year I've never been able to attend because it's usually out of state, and it's just easier for me to get to Orlando. So I am going, and I found out that the hotel where the Uh, conference is going to be held actually has a special discount on rooms and they're kind of expensive rooms. So when I saw this discount, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I didn't already book these rooms through another website. But the problem is there were only a few rooms left. So I'm going to be staying in one room on the Friday night and then a different room on that Saturday night. So I guess the hotel is filling right up and I'm really excited for the Courage Conference. It's next month. October 25th, 26th, and uh, little workshops on the 27th that I'm really excited about because I get to hear Jimmy Hinton speak in these workshops live and in person for the first time. And if you don't know who Jimmy Hinton is, well, I want to fill you in. Um, he is an advocate for victims of sexual abuse. He is a very outspoken advocate. He actually has a podcast with his mom. It is called Speaking Out on Sex Abuse, and you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. And I absolutely love listening to their podcast. And they're having me as a guest on the podcast Uh, tomorrow. So their episodes release on Thursdays. And so tomorrow, if you're listening to this, the day that it releases, it is tomorrow that I will be on the podcast with Jimmy Hinton and Clara Hinton. And I'm so excited to be able to do that. And I hope that you'll listen. I will post a link to the podcast in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And you can find uh, the link there if you want to listen. And I think we're just going to be chatting about advocacy and, and of course, uh, surviving sexual abuse and different things. And I'm excited to dive in with them. Also excited to get to meet Jimmy for the first time at the Courage Conference and hear him speak live. I've, I've heard him speak, like I've seen YouTube videos and I've heard him on the podcast, of course, and even some sermons that he's preached. And uh, it'll be nice to catch him in person. It's kind of interesting, all the people that you meet in the world of advocacy. And it's like you only see people for the most part online, but it feels like you know them, you know, because you've interacted so much. And someday, maybe on the podcast tomorrow, I will share how Jimmy was very influential in my story and in my decision to start speaking out about what I had experienced as a child and the sexual abuse that I had gone through. And uh, that is a perfect segue into the subject of today's podcast, and that is the choice to speak out about sexual abuse. Now, we started this conversation last week, and there was a lot to get into that I wasn't able to share because there's just a lot of layers to it. And today I want to get into uh, how to handle your story with care. Now, it's something I didn't quite understand, I think, uh, when I used to think about sexual abuse as just some event in my life. It just kind of happened. I sort of always knew that it was kind of my own personal, private, like, thing that was kind of shame-filled. And once I started to heal from sexual abuse, it took me a little while to realize that not everyone is going to handle your story of abuse with care. 
when I started sharing, and maybe if you haven't shared much yet about your story of abuse, or maybe you've been sharing for like 50 years and you can just totally relate to this, there were some people who kind of stomped all over that story that to me was very private and just, it, it was something that I didn't just go around sharing with everyone. And I went through some experiences and I kind of wish that I'd had just a little more knowledge back in the day or had somebody to say, you know, hey, just be careful because not everybody is going to receive your story of abuse well. When you start speaking out about sexual abuse, it is going to bother some people. And sometimes you're going to get some feedback that you don't necessarily love. And it is important, I think, that if you feel like you want to speak out about your truth, that you should definitely do it. Um, but it's also a good idea just to know that sometimes there are some things you're going to run into when you begin to speak out that you want to be prepared for. So I totally thought that I was prepared to begin telling my story. I thought that I knew how my story was going to be taken. And in fact, I was very prepared for people to respond negatively to my story. So I want to take you back to um, a weekend that I started talking to you about on the podcast last week. And that was the weekend that I decided that I had to tell the church where the man who had abused me was now a deacon. I had to tell them about his abuse of me. I knew that there was a very big possibility that he had continued to abuse after he had abused me. And I, upon realizing that, realized that I, I had to speak up because I knew that other girls could be in danger. And I didn't want one more person to have to experience what I had experienced. So um, interesting thing about my story is I was um, a missionary kid. My parents were missionaries in Bandung, Indonesia. And we attended this very tiny little church with like a dirt floor. It was not very many people and it was very small and in a very poor neighborhood, which most of the neighborhoods in Indonesia are a uh, third world country developing nation. And so at the time, you know, it was just this very tiny church and uh, we went there every Sunday and loved the people there. And my abuser was there every single Sunday because his sister was married to the pastor of the church. And so he was very much immersed in the life of the church, even though at the time he wouldn't have been considered a church leader. So uh, when I decided to speak out, uh, it was in part because I saw that this man who I knew had abused me and probably some other girls was now serving in the church as like the lead deacon. It, he was essentially serving as a pastor to meet this requirement of the law in Indonesia that says that a, a Westerner, a foreigner, uh, cannot be the pastor of a church. Now, there are a lot of rules and laws I don't understand, and I don't really think it's important for this podcast, so I didn't look them up to make sure that I was getting all my information correct. Just suffice it to say that they needed a person who was a, an Indonesian national in order to be like listed as the leader of that church. And this man was the leader of that church. Now, he wasn't calling himself a pastor. They were calling him a deacon. But he basically was serving in the church and had access to all kinds of children and was ministering to them on a regular basis. And so I realized I needed to speak up. So this entire weekend that I had been thinking about, okay, I've 
got to share this story and I have to tell this pastor because I can't, I can't not say something and allow this man to continue to abuse, which I was just convinced that he had continued to do because there was too much I had experienced and the way that he abused me and the way that he groomed me that just said to me, he is probably a serial predator. And the data shows us, the research shows us that they don't stop. It's not something that somebody just gets over without help. So I was expecting for my story to not be well received because when I started reading about sexual abuse and talking about sexual abuse, I was reading from advocates who were basically sharing their experiences saying, People didn't like it when I spoke out about my abuse. They were sharing stories where churches were very much opposed to them speaking out about abuse, that people wanted to sweep things under the rug, and they didn't want uh, anybody talking about this negative thing in the church and, and kind of, I guess, giving the church a stained reputation, if you want to put it that way. So I very much expected to maybe be met with a little bit of hostility, and I knew that people weren't going to be happy, and I'm a people pleaser. If I can just say that about myself, I've been a people pleaser since I was a little kid, like the good little girl who does what she's told and makes everybody happy. And so it was really hard for me to think, oh my goodness, people might hate me for speaking up. Um, I didn't want anybody to hate me. I don't like that feeling when people don't like me, but um, I knew that I had to speak up regardless because people not liking me was not as important as a predator not being allowed to abuse any more little girls. So I remember thinking down to what exact time I should send this message to the American missionary who was acting as the pastor of the church. I knew I could communicate with him in English, and he was basically leading the church, so I knew that he was the person that I needed to contact to say, hey, your lead deacon did this to me when I was a child, and I'm scared he might still be doing it. So I was very careful. I knew that I had to speak up very, very quickly because I just had this feeling like it would not leave me alone. And I also knew that this guy was very busy on weekends. So it was a weekend that I started feeling this just like burning that I have to speak out. I have to say something. It was not even like a choice. I had to do it. So I remember thinking, all right, there's like a 13 hour time difference. And I calculated the time And I wanted to be really careful not to bring this up before a Sunday morning because I thought that wouldn't be fair to tell him this about the deacon and then for him to have to go to church like the next day or a few hours later and, you know, look him in the eye and not have time to prepare uh, for that. So I made sure that I waited until I knew that it was a Sunday night in Indonesia and then I finally sat down to write this message and I just remember I had this feeling of almost like, I don't want to say defeat because that's not quite the right term, but I basically just felt like I was completely humbling myself to the point where I I know you might hate me for saying this, but I have to tell you. And so I just sent a message and I think it started, I have it somewhere, but I wasn't prepared to go back through the emails because those kind of trigger (laughs) some other stuff in me that is for a different episode. But And just remember sending him a Facebook message because I didn't even have his email address, but I found him on Facebook and I said, hi, you know, my, my parents were missionaries in Indonesia many years ago, and I'm really sorry for what I am about to tell you because it sucks. 
and I wish I didn't have to tell you. Um, I just wanted him to know, like, I understand the burden I'm putting on your shoulders by sharing this with you. It is not going to be easy to deal with, and I'm sorry. And I just, that's how I started the message. And I just said, uh, when I was six years old, uh, your lead deacon, and I said his name, um, he sexually abused me on multiple occasions. And I never told anybody. And he was never caught. And I'm afraid based on his behavior that he has never stopped abusing. And I'm really worried for the girls in the church. And I'm coming forward because I feel like, you know, something needs to be done in order to protect children. Have you ever had one of those conversations and like they're so super emotional? Maybe if you're like going through a breakup or you're having a serious uh, argument with somebody you really love and care about, you have those conversations that you feel like you've been run over by a Mack truck when all is said and done. Well, when I hit send on that message that I had written out to this pastor, I was shaking and I didn't realize it while it was happening, but I was shaking. My whole body was shaking. My teeth were chattering together. And I just remember feeling really cold and shaking a whole lot. Uh, but I never had the feeling that I should not have said something. I was completely confident that I needed to speak up and that I had done the right thing and that I had done it with very pure intentions. And I still couldn't shake that whole uh, shaky feeling, like body trembling, teeth chattering. I was having a very physical response to something that was extremely emotional for me. And your body remembers, you know, your body remembers the trauma that it's gone through. And sometimes when you can't access uh, certain areas of your brain to know exactly how you feel about something, your body knows already. And so I was shaking, my teeth were chattering, and it was this like huge deal to me. And it meant so much because I knew what I had just done. I knew that by speaking up, I was going to anger people. I knew that by speaking up, some people that I had loved since I was a little kid were probably not going to be happy with me and might very well reject me. And I might be making a lot of enemies out of people that I had never done anything wrong to. So I knew that that there was something at stake for me. And I spoke up because I knew that it was more important that a predator not be allowed to have access to kids. So when I tell you that the pastor's response disappointed me, I'm kind of just understating it by a whole heck of a lot. So initially he was gracious and to the point where I almost felt like I was being patronized a little bit, like talked down to, and he was giving me like spiritual advice and asking, you know, if I had talked to my dad about it. And I'm thinking, well, I'm a grown woman in my thirties. <laughs> like, so, um, yeah, I've chatted with my dad about this, but I just felt like sort of condescended to, but I made the decision, you know what? He's never been in a situation like this more than likely. He doesn't know what the heck is going on. And I, and I just tried to, to empathize. I tried to find that empathy that said, okay, he's going to be walking through this blindly. And so let's give him some grace and let's give him a chance to respond. But the way that he responded was essentially... I'm really sorry about your situation. You know, he took a couple of days to think about it and he told me that he was going to. He thanked me for sharing. He said he was sorry that I'd experienced what I experienced. 
um, he asked me if, if he could have my pastor's phone number and like my dad's contact information, which I also thought was kind of weird, but I thought, well, you know what? He's probably just trying to make sure I'm not a crazy person. So that's fine. And so I gave it to him. And a few days later, when he got back with me, what he essentially said was, I have been taking your situation to the Lord in prayer every day. He kept referring to this abuse that I'd experienced and the fact that I was nervous that this man was still abusing. He kept referring to it as your situation. And I remember that that just gave me a very cold, very sinking feeling because it wasn't my situation. Um, It was my situation when I was six years old. And yes, I was dealing with the aftermath, but the situation was very much about the fact that a predator of children was now a lead deacon in a church having access to all kinds of children who are definitely going to trust him based on the position that he's in. So after getting a few emails about how, you know, he's taking my situation to the Lord in prayer and just is deeply concerned, he told me, I'm going to definitely have a talk with him, but I'm really busy for the next several months. And I was just like crushed. I'm thinking, okay, this pastor had girls. And I was thinking if he honestly thought that this man had sexually abused people at some point in his life and was now serving as a deacon of a church, why on earth would he say, I have really important missions trips coming up over the next few months. I'm going to be leaving the country. So please be patient with me. Essentially, he was saying, I'll get to it when I get to it. And uh, he finally did get to it. And it was only when I kind of went over his head, went to his mission board and said, listen, I've shared this information. I feel like it's very important that this situation be handled because there could be other girls who are suffering and nothing's being done. I kind of went over his head and the situation was finally dealt with. And I'm not going to get into every single detail because I would be here all day (laughs) talking about it. Um, But I will say this. After we exchanged emails back and forth for a little while and it became really clear to me that he was not going to do anything or that he was going to put it off as long as he possibly could, I started looking into other avenues of being able to help children. I looked into child protective services in Indonesia. I looked into some advocacy groups and he, the pastor of this church, essentially told me that what I was doing by coming forward to try and expose this was jeopardizing his entire ministry, both now and in the future, and that to help me would be a visa violation. And so he was just going to have to gracefully bow out and do nothing, essentially. And I was horrified to hear that. Uh, First of all, because telling me that to speak up to keep other children from being harmed is going to destroy your ministry really says a lot about how you think about what constitutes ministry and what constitutes being Jesus to people in need and to people who are hurting. But in addition to that, it showed me that I was not going to be able to depend on this person to do anything about this situation. So yes, I ended up going over his head 
when they finally uh, confronted the situation and essentially like really had to grill this guy for a long time to get him to confess, he finally confessed to very little. And I believe that he confessed to as little as possible to keep from getting in trouble, but to give them enough to make it seem like he was being very genuine and very honest. And I have reasons for why I believe that to be true. And they may not be important in this instance, but suffice it to say, the way that they handled my story was really, really not good. And if I can give anyone a warning, it would be about being careful who you share your story with. So when I first told this pastor about what had happened, he asked me if I would be willing to share with him a description of what happened to me. And of course, I didn't want to share a description of exactly what had happened to me, but I also didn't want to rewrite it. So I said, you know what? I wrote it out for therapy because one of my uh, therapists had said, write down as much detail as you can remember. Everything you can remember is going to help you to get it out, to get it out on paper. And so I had been like writing this and adding to the description as I remembered things. And I told him, I'm just going to send this to you because I don't really want to have to rewrite everything. But please don't share this with anyone If you don't tell me about it first, because, you know, I'm thinking this is very personal. It's very private. And, you know, even though I knew I shouldn't be ashamed of it anymore, I had carried that shame for so long. And what ended up happening after he agreed that he, you know, thank you for providing me with this. And, you know, of course, we won't share it. They ended up asking him to resign as deacon of the church. And he came forward and they didn't ask him to confess to child molesting. They asked him to confess to sin in his past. And so when he got up and said, I have to resign as deacon today because there's sin in my past, everyone in the church basically was in shock. And they're like, well, we, we disagree with this. Like, you can't just make him stop being a deacon. And so everyone came to his defense. And I guess there was a mini uproar and people wanted to know, like, this is not acceptable. He should not be taken out of his position because of some random past sin. So I guess the church leaders realized and the mission board realized because they were the people handling this story. They realized that it wasn't going to be enough for him to confess to this blanket sin. And I didn't want him confessing to a blanket sin anyway, because I think you need to be very specific when little children are involved and at stake. You know, people have to know. So I wanted them to revisit what he confessed to. What I didn't want them to do was to mishandle my story. And that's exactly what they did. So I received an email from one of the men from the mission board, and he told me, well, the church wasn't satisfied with the explanation that was given about why he had to resign as as the deacon. So we read the account of abuse that you sent to us to the whole church. I mean, essentially, they stood in front of the church, and I will say, it's a tiny church. Doesn't matter because almost the entire thing is made up of my abuser's relatives, his wife, his children, his sister, his nieces and nephews, and like his whole extended family, and essentially the church is theirs. And they stood before this congregation and read word for word the account of what he had done to me. And even I put in this account some of my response to what he had done to me. Some of the most shameful things that I had been struggling to deal with my entire life had been laid out for these complete strangers to hear. 
And when I read that email and knew what they had done, I felt like I was going to throw up. And I mean, I was so nauseated for days. I, I couldn't believe it. I just felt like, how how could anyone be that insensitive? How could anyone do that? And not only to be insensitive to read it, but to read it after I specifically told them in emails, don't share this with anyone unless you tell me first. And so that was my first experience with someone mishandling my story of abuse. And it's a pretty bad one. Uh, to this day, it's embarrassing. And what happened was, after this story was shared, and they basically gave my name to the whole church again without my permission, uh, one by one, his relatives and, and family members began blocking me on social media because they had followed me because they remembered me from when I was a kid and we had all been one big happy church family. And I can't describe that feeling where you already feel like you are bothering people by speaking up. You already know that you're a nuisance to someone, kind of like a fly they have to swat away because they're trying to focus on the real work of the ministry. And I'm putting real in air quotes and you're trying to get them to deal with a child predator, which is not, I guess, what they feel the Lord has called them to the mission field to do. So I'm already feeling that insecure feeling of, I'm just a bother to everybody. Like the, the problem in this scenario is not the abuser, the problem is me. And that's how I was being treated. Uh, so I'm already feeling that, already feeling pretty raw. And then to have them stand in front of the church and read word for word, what transpired between me as a six-year-old and this guy as a grown man. Like, I just couldn't even wrap my brain around it. I felt so disgusted. I felt so sick. And then one by one, people began blocking me as though I had done something wrong. And that's how I was treated. And I wanted to share that story on the podcast today, not to frighten you into not sharing your story, but just to say that not everyone is going to handle your story with care. And so unfortunately, like you wish that everybody would do the right thing. You wish that everybody would share your story in an awesome way that would just be, you know, perfect. And they would understand that it is like this sacred thing that you don't want to mess with and that they shouldn't violate by doing stupid things like reading an account of your abuse to the entire church. You hope that people will handle it that way, but people don't always handle it that way. And so it is up to us, essentially, to handle our own stories with care. And I wanted to share a quote with you from Lori Ann Thompson. She is a survivor and an advocate, and you can find her on Facebook and you can find her on Twitter. And it's really interesting that as I was preparing for today's episode, I came across this quote from Lori Ann, and she said, when you speak, how you speak, and if you speak of the unspeakable, it ought to be your choice. Speaking should restore your story to yourself. It should be an act of personal empowerment. It ought not overwhelm. It ought be in your governance and gatekeeping. And I thought that was so perfect because it's exactly what I was talking about on the podcast today. When we speak up, it needs to be our choice. It, it's not something that other people should do for us or take control of a story that's not theirs to tell. And it should always empower us to tell it. And so I just, 
I wanted to share that experience because I know that there are times in sharing our stories that people aren't going to handle them with care and people aren't going to treat us the way that we need to be treated. And unfortunately, it's up to us to be the gatekeepers of our stories and to make sure that the people that we're sharing them with are, are trustworthy and they're, they've earned the right to hear your story and that you can trust them to be able to handle it with care. And if I had to go back, I would probably end up telling the pastor some general terms for what happened and ask him explicitly not to share my name with any members of my abuser's family because, you know, it was, it made them essentially view me as a a terrible person who was trying to ruin their relative's life by coming forward with this story. And I do want to give some grace and I'm not, I'm not angry with these people. I I honestly am not um, with especially his family members because I feel like, you know, this is, their family member and they feel like, okay, well, maybe this thing happened a long time ago and, you know, he's a different person. He's a good Christian and all he wants to do is serve God. And I get that. So I give them grace because of that. And for another reason is that in the Indonesian culture, losing face is a serious thing. And once somebody loses face, I mean, it would be a pretty obvious choice to just go ahead and block someone on Facebook. So you never had to see them. They never had to see you kind of put it out of sight, out of mind. So I tried to kind of comfort myself. And so did some other people I heard from some missionaries who were like, you know, it's the culturally, it's a thing. And and I remembered it from childhood that this would likely happen because people would lose face and they wouldn't want to be in communication with me. And I understood that, like I understood it. It just wasn't registering in my spirit because in my spirit, it was just being rewounded. I was just being broken all over again. Like, oh, she tells us that her deepest pain and her deepest hurt. And I made sure to tell these pastors and mission board members, listen, I haven't even shared this with my own mom, who I'm closest to in the world. So please, you know, don't share this without my permission. And a part of me will always believe that it was shared in a spiteful way. Like she won't leave us alone. And she went over my head and went to the mission board because I wasn't handling this and essentially got me in trouble. So I'll show her and I will take her account of abuse and have it read in front of an entire congregation of people after she asked me not to share it with anyone. I mean, I don't know. And, and I, will, I will say, I don't 100% believe that, but I always wonder, I always wonder if it was handled that way because part of the leadership was just a little bit angry with me for coming forward, for speaking up and for not letting it go when they decided that they didn't want to handle the situation. So honestly, um, I don't have any huge piece of advice for you about sharing your story and, and how to get people to handle it with care. The only thing I do want to tell you is that when you begin to speak up, sometimes it's like a fountain that's just overflowing. You find your voice and then it's like you just want to speak your truth because it's so freeing and it's so empowering. But sometimes 
that freedom and that empowerment that you feel is also giving other people access to your story who may use it against you. So I wish that everybody would look at victims of sexual abuse and and say, you know what, they've suffered enough and they deserve my support and my care and I'm going to be here for them and I'm going to do everything right. But honestly, sometimes that's just not what you're going to run into. And a lot of times people will say things out of ignorance that will hurt you and maybe do things out of ignorance that might make you feel like you are not in governance of your story, uh, as Lori Ann Thompson said, but that's what it should make you feel to share your story. It should make you feel personally empowered. You shouldn't be overwhelmed. You shouldn't feel like somebody's hijacking your story and using it against you. Uh, You should walk away feeling empowered. So in the beginning, when your emotions are still raw and you're still learning just how to deal with your story in yourself. Maybe you haven't completely dealt with the details of your story and it's hard for you to even tell yourself your story. Uh, In the beginning, I kind of wished that I had just taken a little pause. I would have shared with the church regardless. I definitely would have spoken up because I was in fear that other girls were being abused. And so that decision I would never change. And I believe a hundred thousand percent that I did the right thing, but I might handle a little bit differently the way I willingly trusted people with my story and just thought, okay, I'm going to hand them the, the thing that has caused me the most pain and the thing that has been the most shameful for me my entire life. I'm just going to give it to these people and trust them with it. And I just think that we have to be careful Uh, who we trust with our stories. And I think that now I'm at a point with my story, now that I have been dealing with my past for a good four or five years now, I feel like I'm at a point where if someone hears my story, not maybe the explicit details as this church did, but just hears about what happens to me, you know, there are people who are going to respond negatively and I don't feel as hurt as I did in the beginning, but just as you start navigating your story and you start sharing and you start getting a little more bold about speaking up, you just want to be careful that the people that you speak up to are allies, that they're people that you know, that you know, that you know, you can trust. And as you navigate sharing your story and healing, uh, you are definitely going to become more empowered to speak your truth. And, you know, maybe now if somebody blocked me on social media for sharing, I wouldn't feel the same way I did those first couple of months when I had just started therapy and I had just started dealing with my story. It just, it hurt. I was very raw emotionally and that was a lot to deal with. So I know that I would do that a little bit differently. It's not ever going to be perfect. There are always going to be people who misunderstand, but I just want you to take care of yourself because when it comes to dealing with your story, you are the most important and how you feel about it is what matters the most. And I think that it's easy sometimes for us, especially if we've been abused and we've been mistreated, something that abuse throws at us is just this, this shame and a feeling of worthlessness. Like I wasn't worth enough for somebody to treat my body and to treat me as, as a soul, as a human made in the image of God. Like they just treated me like trash essentially. And there's this lie that the abuse tells us that we are unworthy. 
And I feel like it becomes so easy for us to feel unworthy as we share our stories, especially in the beginning when you're just learning to navigate it. Um, I felt like I didn't deserve to tell people about what I had experienced. I felt like I didn't deserve uh, for anybody to care about my story in that little church in Indonesia. I just felt like, you know, who am I to disrupt everyone's life? And so it was almost like, I didn't expect anybody else to treat me with care and to treat my story with care. But I know now that that's a lie. It's, it's a lie that the abuse tells us that we're not worthy, that, you know, we were abused because we aren't worthy. And now that we're sharing our stories, if somebody mistreats us or misuses us because of it or or abuses our story, um, that we're not worthy of them treating us and our stories with care and respect. And it's, it's not true. You deserve for people to listen without judgment. You deserve to not feel shamed for speaking up. You deserve for people to respond to you with love and with empathy and with grace and not with anger and a disregard for the way that you feel and a disregard for how you want your story handled. Um, So that's what I've got for you today. I would love to keep this conversation going in our Facebook group. If you want to ask any questions or maybe you want to share with me um, some ideas you have about sharing your story, I would love to hear and I'd love to interact with you there. So you can search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook and you're going to find our Facebook group. It's called Survivor Sanctuary and it is a private group. So people are not going to be able to just see, you know, all your other Facebook friends. So if you want to talk about things that you feel like other people may not understand and you want just a safe place, well, that is what Survivor Sanctuary is. And I'd love to interact with you there. And maybe you have a similar story of how you shared about your abuse and and maybe how your story wasn't handled in the best way. And sometimes it's just good to get those things off our chest. So if you want to head on over to the Facebook group, it is Survivor Sanctuary. Uh, We will chat about it there. Well, again, tomorrow I am going to be on Jimmy Hinton's podcast, the Speaking Out on Sex Abuse podcast. And I don't want to leave out Clara Hinton because it's both their podcasts. Uh, My favorite thing is Jimmy Hinton and his mom, Clara. (laughs) But I will be chatting with them tomorrow. If you are listening to the podcast the day that it releases, it's tomorrow. And I'm excited for that. And I hope you will tune into that podcast as well. Well, thank you so much. And I hope that you have an amazing rest of your day. And I will catch you back here next time, or I'll catch you on the Facebook group, Survivor Sanctuary. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.